0: The big challenge we are looking into now is how we are going to treat patients in the future because we can't uh, move all the patients to uh, to nursing homes and hospitals. So we have to treat them more at home. And the emergency medical service will be a vital part of treating patients at, in their home.
1: Hello, and welcome back to another edition of EMS One Stop International Edition. If you remember last month, I was talking to our uh, good friends, an amazing EMS system in Kigali, the country of Rwanda in Africa. This time we're going north and almost into the Arctic Circle, not quite at the North Pole, but I'm going to introduce uh, my friend uh, Steinar from the Norwegian uh, EMS system, and I'll allow you to introduce fully, Steinar, who you are and uh,
0: where you're from. Hello, everybody. Yes, my name is Stan Rulsen. I'm head of uh, the Department for Emergency Medical Services in our uh, Directorate of Health. It's a part of uh, the government structure. Uh, our role is to give guidance, regulations in EMS, and also uh, pinpoint what route should we uh, go for the future. So that's some of the work we do.
1: So part of this series is just to allow people here in America and actually everywhere else to understand how EMS works around the world. So give us firstly a sort of idea of the, the geography of Norway. Um, that's, that's an, an interesting in itself. Having been there, of course, you just can't drive from A to B in a straight line. Sometimes that's challenging. Uh, talk about that. And then also talk about the, the makeup and the composition of ambulance services EMS system in country. Hmm.
0: In in, uh, Norway, the EMS system is a part of the hospital system. So it's an integrated service and uh, the hospitals are owned by the state and funded through our taxes. Uh, The geography of Norway is rather challenging. From Oslo, where I live, it's uh, uh, 3,000 kilometers to the north, up to Kirkenes. Flying there will take you to two and a half hour. It's the same distance as from Rome in Italy to Oslo. And we have a huge coastline. Uh, the coastline of Norway is the second largest one in, uh, in the world, only beaten by uh, Canada. Uh, and wisely we have spread our population of 5.3 million out in this uh, huge country with a beautiful mountain nature but a lot of challenging weather. Like today, it's not possible to go from Oslo by car to Bergen because the mountain is closed with snow. So that's some of our challenges. To help us out with this, <clears throat> we have a massive fleet of helicopters and fixed-wing aircraft. That's it. And they are oiling the, the, and streamlining the system, flying patients on the long-haul distances. Um, yes that's the, the make of the system but mainly it's paid by the by our taxes and organized as a part of our national healthcare system
1: so it's a very very long country it's it's fairly narrow by sort of you know u.s standards let's say so how is ems organized in terms of locations stations and you know and, and how many folk are working in the system there
0: yeah in in the big picture, we have uh, about 400 ambulance stations spread around in the, in the country from the rural side to the to the cities. It's uh, five hundred and twenty ambulances on call and approximately 4,500 EMTs and paramedics on standby. In addition to that, we have uh, 14 helicopters and 12 airplanes to support the ground ambulance.
1: And I think I even saw a news story once where you actually put an, uh, an ambulance inside a C-130 to just take the patient. I mean, that's the easiest way of driving onto a Herc and flying yeah. them somewhere. So, I mean, that, that level of logistics is something that you have to contend with perhaps almost on a weekly basis.
0: Not weekly, but, uh, but uh, if we have, uh, for instance, an ECMO patient or a CBRN patient, Uh, Far away from Oslo, putting an ambulance into one C30 is uh, the most, uh, the easiest way to move the patients from, for instance, Trumse down to Oslo. But it's uh, rarely used because most of the patients can fit into a regular air ambulance plane.
1: So distances between, let's say, the level one trauma center, so, uh, again, you know, uh, road traffic accidents, probably it, towards the Arctic Circle have two dangers, one, the trauma, and B, the elements, the weather, the the cold. And so ha- how much of, of a travel time is it between, you know, let's, you know between centers, for example?
0: It can be two and three hours if you want to go by road. Uh, and uh, some parts of the year, for instance, now in the winter, that might be so challenging, it's not doable. That's why we use a lot of airplanes.
1: Let's move on to paramedic education. And so I think like the UK and Australia and others, you have a degree program. So take us through the steps to becoming a paramedic from, from you know entry level.
0: In, in Norway, it's a two-way path. You can either take an EMT course, that's a, it's a junior exam, at the college level. It's two years in the school system and then two years as a trainee and then you take your final exam, that's an EMT level. Uh, then you are uh, not allowed to give medicines, but you can practice on the ambulance and you will get a national license as an EMT. The paramedic program is a, is a bachelor's degree. It's a three-year education, mainly focused on, uh, on uh, educating for the ambulance, but they can also work in the emergency department if needed. Uh, and uh, you get your license as a national uh, paramedic uh, on the same level as a nurse after these three years
1: and one of the issues we 're having here in the United States at the moment is that if people are coming into the profession of course they 're moving on into hospitals into maybe you know medical school even is there a is there a throughput or do people tend to arrive in paramedicine and then stay there as a career and a, and a profession
0: i approximately today we are balancing approximately 50% are staying on for the whole life and the rest is moving on. So it's a divided service. Uh, what we tend to see now is a move uh, in the direction of uh, it's a part of a longer career where you are in the emergency medicine for some years and then move on to other parts in the healthcare system. And I think uh, the young ones are so clever that they want to learn more and uh tend to seek new challenges. So I guess it's uh, some of the same you see in the US.
1: Yeah, we, we tend to be what we call the gateway to healthcare. And so people will come on, get their a little bit of experience, and maybe yeah, go through school at the same time and then move mm-hmm. on into the system. But I guess we're good at capturing the, the spirit and the interest of people and then they move on into healthcare, which... Yeah. So, you know, some people would say it's a bad thing because people are moving through, but also it's a good thing because we're introducing and exposing people to healthcare careers. Perhaps yeah. I'm sure it's the same for you.
0: Actually, what what we see now it's it's uh, so popular to become a paramedic that the level of uh, exams uh, you have to pass uh, and uh, the, the level of the uh, score you must have on your exam is actually higher than going to become a nurse. So, it's a very competitive, those that uh, get to get into, uh, into the paramedic studies and very bright. That's.
1: That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, of course, we, we're having a great debate in the US whether we need to have graduate level medics, uh, and, and there are many, I guess, political reasons uh, why that isn't the case. But uh, you know, we can we watch you guys, we watch the UK, New Zealand, Australia, obviously with the the graduate level entries, Ooh. and uh, you know, it's 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 a debate that's going on here. You're not just confined to Norway in terms of EMS operations. You do a lot of outreach and a lot of international support. Mm. And at the time of recording this, because this podcast will go out a little bit later on, um, we've had uh, two, I think, level 7.0 and up earthquakes in Turkey today. Um, and obviously, it's y- you're freshly into this, but uh, what's Norway going to do to help?
0: We are actually looking into that now. We have uh, what we call an emergency medical team, level one that is uh, on standby and could be operational within 40, 48 hours. And we also have a, a huge medical stockpile uh, of surgical equipment and, and uh, medicines. So we are now in a dialogue with WHO and the European Union, how we can help out, uh, out to Turkey. So later today or tomorrow, we will know how we can help them. In addition to that, we have an ongoing uh, operation in Ukraine as well, helping uh, Ukraines uh, with Medevac. So, so far this uh, last year and until now, we have uh, evacuated almost six hundred patients from Poland to other countries in the, in Europe, using a seven hundred and thirty-seven equipped as a small hospital, enabling us to move between 20, ten and twenty patients at a time out of ukraine
1: wow so that's an interesting concept here we have ambulances for ukraine where they are sending sort of second-hand used ambulances into the country but i guess what you're describing there is you wait at the border to receive uh, patients for evacuation into norway or just anywhere that they need to go
0: they can go to norway germany spain we will fly them everywhere so tomorrow we will pick up uh, 15 patients, fly five of them to the Netherlands and 10 to Norway. On Wednesday, we will uh, pick up 20 patients and fly them to Germany. And uh, then we will uh, see the rest of the week what we need to do. But uh, uh, let me also uh, say that uh, all those ambulances donated from far away are very much appreciated inside Ukraine because they lose between ten and one hundred ambulances a week, depending on on uh, on the war. So it's important that we also uh, donate equipment to them.
1: Wow, that is a very sobering statistic, Steinar. And uh, on for those listening to the podcast, uh, go back through the catalogue because we did interview the folk from uh, US ambulances for Ukraine. Um, they're still looking not only for ambulances, actually, Steinar, but also for fire. Uh, pumpers, engines, um, tenders, depending what you call it in the country that you're listening to us in, uh, but uh, they are looking actively for public safety equipment, ambulances, fire trucks are on the list. And from what you just said, the attrition level is something that uh, I hadn't considered. But of course, it's a war zone. These things happen, right? So we just need to continuously replace
0: them. Wow. It is. And uh, they also need uh, in-kind contributions. So a lot of healthcare workers from Europe go voluntarily in there to um, to help them out as paramedics, nurses, and also doctors. So it's a huge need in Ukraine. So every contribution is uh, valued very highly.
1: Well, thank you for that uh, note, Steiner. And we're just going to take a second just to have a message from our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly. Serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities, Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioural health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot Welcome back. Uh, this is EMS One Stop International Edition. And this time I'm talking to Steinar Olsen, uh, who runs EMS uh, Ambulance Services in Norway. Steinar, thank you for taking the time and the time zones. So I'm talking first thing in the morning. You're about to go home and have your uh, your evening meal, I suspect. Um, it's the beauty of uh, the internet that we can do this sort of thing. Couldn't have done this years ago. So it's, it's amazing. Um what are the next big things for EMS in Norway? What are you working on that's either clinically advanced or operationally significant?
0: Uh, we are working in both directions. Um, uh, one of the main uh, political issues now is whether to uh, whether we should uh, uh, regulate uh, response times or not. It's a political drive to, to set a... Set a certain standard for instance uh, uh, eight or twelve minutes uh, in a in a regulation and we've uh, gone through all the material we have uh, regarding response times and we don't see any um, good reason for why we should regulate it of course response times are uh, are um, important, but we think we will uh, uh, develop uh, other quality indicators uh, instead of just measuring response times. So that's one, one work we are uh, into now. And we are also working a lot with community paramedics and how we can interact with the, the, whole, the whole line of services provided by the municipalities. Because we are an aging population and we cannot uh, organize the services in the future like we do to now so we have to find new models
1: that's fascinating and it shows that uh, ems and paramedicine is just a global village because at the moment response times are very much on the radar here and uh, as you've indicated that uh, we know that for the majority of the time the patient isn't having a absolute life-threatening will die immediately condition yet we apply in some areas Hmm the same response time standard lights and sirens creating more of a danger to the general public by just trying to take a big ambulance or in in the u.s case a fire truck to get there and so we're trying to politically work our way away from response times and as you're saying into clinical indicators so you know we we just seem to have the same i guess challenges opportunities and problems there
0: yes and this is really important because uh, looking just into response times, you can waste a lot of money that could use, be used wisely in other parts of the service to create more health. Actually, we have tried to find evidence that the response times and measuring response times really saved lives. And we can't find evidence for that. That's why we think we should measure this uh, service in another way than putting up response time as the only
1: well, perhaps we can exchange notes uh, when you come across to uh, the Pinnacle EMS conference this year. And uh, for those of you that uh, s- receive both the emails from Fitch and Associates and Pinnacle, you will see the uh, the, the the charming uh, tall, handsome gentleman on the posters, which is Steinar this year. So you're one of the Fitch faces, and so we will see your poster plastered all over the place. But. Uh, Perhaps this is one of those international discussions we need to have because we're facing the same issues. Going on also, um, just to r- remind you that, that your predecessor, Jan Erik Nielsen and I go back uh, 15, 20 years. And, uh, I first met and came into contact with Norwegians, with you guys, when you came across the UK to look at, um, nurse triage. And, uh, that was sort of one of the, the, you know, the relationships that I struck up and have maintained ever since with you guys. Are you using a lot of hear and treat? within country, obviously, with the geography and, and the challenges?
0: Yeah. Um, both for those uh, non-emergent patients and uh, emergency cases, we'll do a lot of uh, nurse triage. Uh, about uh, between 25 and 30% of the calls are handled uh, with uh, just a phone call or a combination of phone and video conference with the patient and the, the standby. Uh, and that gives us the possibility to reach out, but avoid transporting patients to care if they don't need to, to have a transport. So it's a, it's a lot of use of that.
1: That number is interesting and staggering. And, uh, and, and if you have any uh, academic research that, uh, that supports that I, I think we'd want to hit, see it and hear it over here because, of course, again, we're, we're going towards, certainly with our emergency triage, treatment transport program, to have someone on the call or on the video before the response is something that we aspire to do. We're doing it in smaller areas, but obviously this is a, a, a national uh, rollout for you guys. I mean, how, how long have you been doing this effectively now?
0: Oh, uh, nurse triage goes back to early 90s. Um, and it's uh, stated by, uh, by law that uh, the hospitals should provide this in emergency cases. And also the municipalities have a system with, where we have a GP on call. So it's, uh, if it's a non-emergent situation, you are, uh, you can call your GP uh, 24-7 and uh, they also have a nurse dispatch. Uh, triaging the patients before you are put through to the general practitioners. And these two systems work together. And I think we managed to avoid some of the transports you see in the US. Uh, just to give you some figures, the, the average is that we do 140 ambulance transports per 1,000 inhibitants in Norway. And that includes... Uh, also uh, interfacility transports, and uh, that's the, the, the total burden. and I guess that figure is lower than the. US, uh, where you also have interfacility transports in addition to uh, emergency medicine.
1: And this is actually one of the reasons I'm doing this international series because there's so much best practice out there that uh, we need to understand who's doing what and then we can go out and uh, you know, acquire it, borrow it, uh, use it, utilize it, employ it. And so, again, that's something else that uh, we need to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, and and that's the reason why we went to the US uh, uh, some, some years ago to steal your good ideas so we don't have to find a them up ourselves so if we can uh, steal and implement all the good ideas out there in the EMS then we will move faster
1: well, here in the U.S., uh, our good friend, Dr. Peter Antevi coined the phrase r and We know what r and stands right. for. It stands for rip off and duplicate. Yeah. And uh, you're very welcome to r and <laughs> our stuff, and we hope to r and uh, your stuff. Uh, Stana, so so, what else is, is, is happening that perhaps we haven't covered in Norway that would be of interest to an international audience? Uh,
0: I guess uh – then the big challenge we are looking into now is how we are going to treat patients in the future because we can't uh, move all the patients to, uh, to nursing homes and hospitals. So we have to treat them more at home. And the emergency medical service will be a vital part of treating patients at, uh, in their home. And that's, uh, that's a growing uh, interest for that now in our country. And uh, we will uh, dig into this uh, in the coming years and develop uh, different models. And we have now explored uh, five or six different models, how we can uh, utilize uh, the systems and uh, combine them, finding new challenges. And in the middle of that, EMS is uh, a vital part. So I think uh, EMS... uh, in the next 20 years, will develop from just blue light and sirens to uh, be an advanced platform for performing health care in, in the person's home instead of moving them to hospitals.
1: Again, this is a road that we're travelling down as well, so again, another commonality. You you mentioned a few minutes ago that you have a very aged population, and I'm assuming that also that uh, journey into the home is going to extend into palliative and end-of-life care as well. Will that be a sort of a a community paramedic role also, or is it already? It
0: could be. It's not a part of the community paramedic in in Norway now. It's mainly provided by nurses and uh, home care services, But we see that when something then happens, the ambulance service will be the link between uh, the patient and the hospital. And uh, I think we will uh, extend that link now and see how we can utilize the paramedics, especially in the rural areas, to perform new services uh, together with the healthcare service in the municipalities. Uh, Both uh, that we can... And it's a a two-way... Um, transition. We have, have to uh, utilize the the people working in the service better and lower the cost. And then we have to reach out across the borders of the services and think more integrated. So we have some projects on that.
1: What is the relationship with uh, with fire in Norway? Are they uh, again? Because we're looking hmm. from a US model where fire will conduct first response here, and everybody is pretty much an EMT. How does that relationship work in in Norway?
0: In Norway, the services are organized uh, by two different entities. The fire is uh, organized and provided by the municipalities, and they are uh, fire-educated. But as a part of that, they also have some first aid training and first aid education. So we use them as first responders on cardiac arrests and some, uh, some unconscious patients. Um, where you can count the seconds, then we use the fire service. Uh, We don't have the same model with the same education uh, as you see in some of the areas of the US. So we don't use them as uh, healthcare workers. We just use them as first responders.
1: So it's a bit more like, I I guess, the UK, where you'll get a first response with a defibrillator. Um, One of the coolest things I saw talking of the fire departments is on a traffic accident incident rescue where a vehicle has been crushed the way that you unstretch a vehicle and you extract the patient Hmm. uh, and i've seen a video of this and it's truly amazing is how how do you get a patient out of a car when you're on on an icy road and you've got a fire truck and a chain and a tree tell me how that works i think everyone needs to hear this
0: you you, uh, secure the vehicle to the tree put the, the chain in the front and then you drag the vehicle apart and um, it's quick, easy, and um, and uh, very effective.
1: This is the reverse mechanism, mechanism yeah. of injury method, I think. We just unstretch it because the car's going to unpeel the way it peeled, yeah. and then you just pluck the patient out. And I don't know what – I've seen a video of this. It takes minutes as opposed to jaws of life, extrication, etc. It does. Um, and uh, perhaps we can – if you've got a copy of that, send it over. We'll put it in the show notes. Everybody needs to see this, and perhaps there's a, a new methodology. Of course, I, I live out here on on the West Coast, and there's not, much, not many trees on the side of the road to attach to. But that said, there could oh, be yeah. other – other ways of doing it so it's an interesting way
0: you can do it with two fire trucks or a big lorry and a fire truck or well, there tractor. we go let's yeah. see if
1: we can introduce this best practice into the u.s no jewels of life just unstretch the the, the shrunken car cool uh, that's a, that, that's a that's a perhaps a, a tip we can pass on um end of interview questions anything i haven't asked you or anything you want to tell us about uh operations in norway steiner Um. Uh,
0: no, I've, uh, I've been a part of this service since I started uh, 40 years back. And I think the interaction with the healthcare system is uh, what you should look into in the US for the future. Because uh, EMS is really a chain uh, or a, a treasure bin for developing healthcare services. And that is underdeveloped in the US. Because you're so, uh, you're not attached to each other. And I think that's the biggest difference between UK, Norway and the US.
1: I think those are exceptionally wise words. And uh, for those listening, Steiner attends all of our major conferences, and I see you at least once a year, if not more, because you're out looking at how we do business, as you say, to R&D, to take stuff back. But, uh, you know, we could do with listening to, to your observations of us as well. So thank you for that. How can we follow EMS in Norway from a, a website or, or viewing?
0: That's not easy because it's, uh, everything is um, posted in Norwegian. We have a Norwegian magazine called the Forum, Uh but it's in Norwegian. So that's uh, that's one of the bottlenecks. Uh, but we have some international publications. I can send you some comparison of EMS in the, in the Nordic countries. We've done that twice, and that's in English.
1: So if you can speak Norwegian, it's on the website. If yep. not, we'll put some stuff, including that video and some, and some uh, publications in the show notes. Uh, so for the moment, Steinar, thank you very much for taking the time to, to have a chat. Um, this has been our second edition of our EMS One Stop uh, International. Um, so thank you very, very much for your time. Thank you very much, Rob. See you soon. Yes. So don't forget, everybody, that you can follow me on Twitter at UKRobL1. You can also catch up with me on LinkedIn. And actually, I know Steinar is on LinkedIn as well, Steinar Olsen. If you want to reach out and send him a message, you can. Um, Also, don't forget, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, you can rate and review us on the channel or the platform that you're listening to us on. And of course, we're on all of the good uh, podcast platforms, Amazon Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Catch us all there. Give us five stars. Uh, For the moment, uh, my guest was Steinar Olsen. I've been Rob Lawrence. This has been EMS One Stop International. And until next time, bye for now.